Uh, when people find out I'm from Australia, they often ask, uh, what are the differences between Australia and here? And most of the time, there's so much that's similar, I feel quite at home. But uh, until something happens that re reminds me that I'm living in a second culture, a second culture for me anyway. And a couple of months ago, my youngest son graduated high school, and uh, our youngest, Jamie, he went to one of the local high schools in Napa. Um, in, it's called Vintage High School, like vintage grapes, so good. <laughs> Everything's wine branded down there. And, uh, you know, we've, we've, uh, my wife and I were both school teachers back in Australia, so we've been to graduations before, and every, every American teen film has a graduation scene. So we know that everybody walks up on the stage, they receive the diploma, and then sit down. How different could it be? Um, well, it's a little bit different. Back in Australia, every child wears a school uniform. Very, very fancy. Um, and the graduation ceremony, we call it speech day because there's lots of speeches. And uh, it's a very formal affair. I, I used to have to wear my academic robes with, you know, the, the hood and everything. And uh, my school held it in Town Hall, this ornate building from the 1800s, all marble and brass, uh, right in the middle of town. And uh, all the parents and students would come and they would take their seats and then the teachers would all walk in in this solemn procession with all of the robes on. Um, school is a bit like Harry Potter and Hogwarts. If you haven't worked that out in Australia, that's, that's education in Australia. Think Hogwarts. <laughs> Graduation here was a little bit different. It was in a football stadium. And, uh, and so walking into this football, do you have graduating football stadiums here? Maybe sometimes. Down where we come, that's, that's the way you do it. It's in a football stadium. And so it was more like going to a football stadium than a graduation, in my mind. There were people in baseball hats and cowboy hats and, and woolen hats, and there were air horns and, and full-size cutouts of students and, and big balloon bouquets. And the ceremony started, and, and two soldiers in full regalia, full uniform, marched out onto the football field, and they raised the flag. The crowd rose, and with hands on hearts, we said the national, no, what do we sing? Oh, we, we sung the Star Spangled Banner. You know, sun's coming down over the edge of the, the football field. It was quite, quite a kind of romantic movement, uh, a moment. And uh, we all said the Pledge of Allegiance together. And I didn't know the words, but I, but I tell you what, I could see what was happening. This magical moment unfolded and I realized I was part of something bigger. I was part of America. What does that have to do with our Bible passage today? Well, our passage comes out of a different culture, and, and we might not recognize all of the cultural references at the beginning, but when we immerse ourselves in the moment, when we let ourselves go into the moment, we're going to see that this passage is about something so much bigger, something so much bigger, a magic moment that's part of not only history, but our history and our story. So uh, why don't we pray, and hopefully God will show us that to this morning. Our Heavenly Father, as we open the Bible today, will you open our eyes and open our ears and open our hearts to understand the magic moment that happened on the hillside that day? Will you remind us of your plans and your promises? Will you leave us with the feeling that we are part of something bigger? Will you speak to us today through your word? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Matthew 17, 1 to 13, the Bible passage we just read, it's often called the transfiguration. Uh, what does that word mean? Uh, let me tell you a story. A couple of years ago, a young photographer in Chicago, uh, she wanted to capture beauty on film. Her name's Shay Glover. And uh, she would approach people on the street and she would say, do you mind if I take your photograph? And, uh, and she would take the first photograph and then she'd tell the subject, I wanted to take your photograph because you are beautiful. 
And, and then she'd take a second. And you see in the second photographs, these people whose faces were a little bit, a little bit stern or a bit unexpected, all of a sudden, they, you are beautiful. And their faces just light up and, and completely change their countenance. Um, it's amazing, there's before and after pictures. Shea Glover, I think it's called the, no, I don't know the, the thing. I don't know the name of the project. Um, it's a beautiful compliment. Um, you know, the power of a simple compliment well, in our Bible passage today, we see Jesus' face completely change. Um, that's the meaning of transfiguration. Uh, his appearance is completely transformed as something very special happened. Let's read from verse 1. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and he led them up a mountain, a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun. His clothes became white as light, and behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. I just remind you of some of the backstory. Jesus has been on the road for about three years now. He's spoken to crowds of thousands. He's astonished them with his teaching and his wisdom, his teaching about the kingdom of heaven. He has performed miracles. He's healed the sick. He's raised the dead. He's this massive celebrity. He's very much in the public eye, but on this day, on this day, Jesus takes only his three closest friends, uh, his inner circle, he takes them up on the mountaintop with him. So there's Peter, there's James, and James's brother, John. And when they reach the top, Jesus is changed before their eyes, and he's transfigured. His face shone like the sun, his clothes were white as light. I want you to picture this in your mind. You know, if you, if you were Peter, or if you were James, or if you were John, what would you think was going on? As this happened, I'm sure it was unexpected Um, because it looks a little bit like the picture of angels that we see uh, when we see the angels in the Bible. Angels always appear in this kind of halo of light, you know, this bright shining light. And that'd be a good guess. But Jesus is is not like an angel. Um, Every other angelic messenger in the Bible, they come and they go. They're just there briefly. They never stick around like Jesus did for 33 years. And nobody ever saw an angel born from a human mother and and grow up like a regular kid. So Jesus is not just some angel. We have to dig a little bit deeper into the Old Testament cultural references. And there are a bunch of clues in our passage that tell us what's going on here. And our first reading kind of gives it away a little bit. See, first, Jesus and his companions, they're on a mountaintop. And the mountaintop was often a place where God would meet with key Old Testament figures, like Moses on Mount Sinai. And and that was where God gave Moses the the stone tablets of the Ten Commandments and the rest of the law for God's people. And do you remember what happened when Moses came down from Mount Sinai? Do you remember what was different about him? Do you remember? His face was radiant and shining, presumably shining like Jesus' face was at this very moment that they see him. Exodus 34 says, Moses' face became like that whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him. And then the prophet Elijah also met God on the mountaintop, uh, on Mount Horeb. That story is in 1 Kings 19. And it was there that God spoke to Elijah in that still, small voice. Do you remember? The still, small voice, almost like a whisper. God spoke to him. Come back to our story in the New Testament. Who is there on the mountaintop with Jesus? It's Moses and Elijah, isn't it? It's Moses and Elijah, these two men who'd been dead for more than a thousand years. And so we have the shining face of Jesus. We have this mountaintop location. Uh, We have the Old Testament prophets, Moses and Elijah. And this scene is set for a theophany, an appearance of God. And that's exactly what happens. Skip down to verse 5 with me. 
He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. So we have another Old Testament reference here, the cloud. This is the same as the cloud that went before the Israelites as they escaped from Egypt. The same cloud descended on Mount Sinai when God was speaking to Moses. This cloud represents the presence of God with his people, his glory descending on earth, and his voice speaking to his people. And so with Moses and Elijah there, it's almost like God is rebooting the Old Testament prophets. He's going to set them off again. He's getting ready to recommission them and and relaunch the vision of the promised land. And that promised land that was the center of the Old Testament promises of God. And that was what the Jews expected to happen in the last days. Uh, They expected Moses and Elijah to return first. Uh, the, The very last words of the Old Testament from the book of Malachi say, See, I will send the prophet Elijah before you, uh, to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. God had given Moses a similar prophecy for the people in his day. In Deuteronomy 18, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites, and you must listen to him. Do you see what's happening here? All the weight of Old Testament expectation, all of this prophetic expectation from the Old Testament, it's piling up on this moment on the top of the mountain. Something big is about to happen. And God speaks from the cloud. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. These are the same words that God spoke to Jesus at his baptism. Probably only Jesus heard them at the baptism, but now God's voice is plain to everybody who's listening. Jesus is the prophet that Moses was pointing head towards. And this is the prophet who would bring his people into the promises of God and into the, into the eternal promised land. And all of them were to listen to him. Moses and Elijah, as great as they were, they were just, they were just precursors. They were uh, messengers. They were humans with a very important job, but they were just people nonetheless. But, but not Jesus. Jesus, we learn now, is God's own son. God himself declares it from the cloud. And God declares it in front of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament. Uh, to the messengers of the New Testament, Peter and James and John, who would take the gospel forth, he proclaims in front of them, He proclaims in front of them, this is my son, listen to him. And so God's glory, it's no longer just this reflection in the face of the prophets, like it was a reflection in Moses' face. Jesus' shining appearance tells us that he himself is the glory of God. He himself is the presence of God amongst his people. Jesus himself will speak the words of God. To his people. Jesus will be the prophet who calls them back into repentance and back into fellowship with God. Jesus is God in the flesh. Recognition. Uh, have you ever had a moment when the penny drops? Do Americans say that expression when the penny drops? We've got lots of faces there going, what does that mean? Like a light bulb moment. That light bulb moment. I'm going to tell you a fancy word so you can go home and feel clever this afternoon. Uh, there's a fancy word in uh, Greek literature uh, called ananorisis, A-N-A, I'm going to have to look it up, A-N-A-G-N-O-R-I-S-I-S-I-S, ananorisis, just remember that. Um, Aristotle gave this device the name ananorisis, which means the moment of recognition. And so the classic example is in Oedipus Rex. This is a very highbrow example. In Oedipus Rex, uh, Oedipus finally finds out that that, uh, 
his true identity. He realized he's murdered his father and married his mother, and um, he has this moment of recognition. Now everybody's going, "Uh uh-huh, Oedipus. Let's go for a more accessible example, The Wizard of Oz. In The Wizard of Oz, Dorothy spends the whole film trying to find her way home. Uh, She's trying to find the wizard so she can find her way back to Kansas, but in the end she learned that actually she'd had the ability the whole time, hadn't she? Because of the ruby slippers, she just needed to tap them together and say, there's no place like home. (laughs) Well, in our passage, the disciples have their moment of anonorosis, their moment of of recognizing something that had been in front of them the whole time. They'd been traveling with Jesus for three years, but somehow they hadn't truly recognized him for who he was. But in this moment, with, with Jesus shining with the glory of God and with God's voice booming from the cloud, this is the moment that they finally see Jesus clearly. Their eyes are open to see not Jesus the man, but Jesus as God incarnate standing in front of them. And like everybody who finds themselves face to face with God, what do they do? They fall down to their floor, terrified. Verse 6, when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and they were terrified. But Jesus came and, and touched them saying, rise and have no fear. And they lifted up their eyes. They saw only Jesus. Isn't it interesting? The Old Testament prophets disappear and now the voice only of Jesus is the important one. I think there are many of us who spend our lives like Peter and James and John. We've known Jesus for a long time. But have you had that moment of anonorosis? Have you had that moment of recognition when you understand that Jesus is more than just a moral teacher? He's not just one voice amongst all of the prophets. He's not just one voice amongst all of the philosophers and and psychologists and leadership podcasts that we listen to in our generation. He is the definitive voice. He's the voice of God. God himself says, Listen to him in our passage. See, Peter and James and John, they have this life-changing moment with Jesus, this moment when their, their physical eyes are opened. Their physical eyes are opened to see what only the eyes of faith can see. They have a moment of, of spiritual clarity. And at that moment, Jesus was revealed as God to them, and not, not just their friend, not just their teacher, but he's revealed as God himself. You ever had that moment of spiritual clarity? Have you recognized Jesus as this passage reveals him? Because one day you will, um, whether you're prepared for it or not. The Bible says that on the day that Jesus returns, every knee will bow before him and every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's Philippians 2. And for those who've lived as enemies of Jesus and for those who've not paid him any heed or any attention, that day will be terrifying. But not for those who've recognized Jesus, not for them who've aligned their lives with Jesus. I love the way that Jesus responds to the terrified disciples in verse 7. Look, he says, get up, don't be afraid, have no fear. Jesus doesn't want to terrify us. He's not here to terrify us. He actually wants to bring us into the presence of God, where all of the goodness of creation is restored for all of eternity. We see that in the last few verses of our passage. I don't have time to talk about them. But Jesus wants what's best for us. He wants what's best for our families. He he wants what's best for our community and our nation. Jesus wants to give us life to the full, as it says in John 10.10. And that all begins when you recognize Jesus. Now, I know many of us here know Jesus as Lord, but if you're somebody who hasn't had that moment yet, that moment of recognition for yourself, 
can I encourage you to come and join Hope Explored, what, what Carrie was talking about before, a, a three-week course designed to help you find out about life and faith and meaning and, and how Jesus fits into that. And, and like you said, it's a free course, great food, uh, discussion and time to ask those questions and, and hopefully have that moment of recognition. Have your own light bulb moment about who Jesus really is. Now, there's one part that I've skipped over in the passage back in verse 4. Um, the three disciples, they're up on the mountainside and this transfiguration happens and Jesus is shining and there are the two greatest prophetic figures of the Old Testament. They show up and they're talking to Jesus. Did you notice what Peter was doing? Verse 4, he was loving it. He was having the best day ever. Uh, verse 4, Peter says to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. Uh, if you wish, I'll make three tents here. Uh, one for you and one for my, Moses, one for Elijah. Uh, Peterman was, uh, Peter was this fisherman. He was a salt of the earth guy. He was practical. He was hands-on. And I love the way that he offers to build shelters for Moses and Elijah. Maybe it's because, you know, Moses spent 40 days on the mountainside. And, and so he's getting ready to bed down for 40 days. Uh, Perhaps Peter wanted to make sure they were comfortable if they were camping out. Maybe it was going to rain. Maybe there was rain coming. He's like, ooh, let's make some shelters. Perhaps Peter had in his mind the things of this world. That's what Jesus said to him just at the end of the previous chapter. You're always thinking about the things of this world. It's kind of an odd interaction, isn't it? But there's something profound in what Peter says. And I don't want to miss the profound thing that he says in the awkwardness. Because look again at the very first thing that Peter says here. He says to Jesus... Lord, it is good that we are here. It's good that we're here. See, Peter realized the goodness of being in the presence of Jesus. He realized the goodness of being in the presence of God. He didn't want it to end. He wanted to camp out. He wanted to stay there. He wanted to prolong the moment. He wanted to stay there with Moses and Elijah and Jesus in the presence of God. Wouldn't you want to stay there too? It was good that we are here, says Peter. Do you think about church the same way? It is good that we are here. You know, as we spend time together, as we, as we ask God to speak to us, as we, as we trust that he's here and present by his Holy Spirit, it is good to be here. What about your small group? Do you get together with your friends and, and, and open the Bible and you think, it is good that we are here listening to God's voice together? Uh, maybe you're getting coffee with somebody from church during the week or, or, or maybe you're praying with them over the telephone or maybe you're uh, serving in a roster here at church or um, you're, you're in kids' church or you're in nursery one day. Do you stop and think, it is so good that we are here. It is so good that we're here. There is something very special about being the church. I don't know if you know that. There's something very special about being the church. That God has put his Holy Spirit into each of our hearts. So, you know, we don't need the church for God to show up in our lives. He's already with us. But God hasn't made us to do this alone. We are made for church. But we're made so that when we're together, we get this foretaste of what heaven will be like. We get a foretaste of the kingdom of God. We get a foretaste of the heavenly banquet. We get a foretaste of, of heavenly worship. I was in a little bit of, I had a little bit of a teary eye before when we were singing that song from City of Light. Um, oh, fantastic. It is good that we are here. And I hope you want to be here because I think this is actually the most important two hours of your week when we are here together as God's people listening to him. Uh, in a moment, we're going to stand and sing again. And when we do, I want you to say to yourself, it is good that we are here. This is a taste of eternity. This is what I was made for. Shall we pray?
Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've revealed Jesus Christ to us, not just as a teacher, but as your son, your beloved son, the presence who was amongst us before. We thank you that he's left his Holy Spirit with us so that you are always with us. We are always in your presence. We thank you. Heavenly Father, help us to know that it is good that we are here at church. It is good to be hearing from you. Heavenly Father, for those of us who haven't recognized Jesus yet, today would you open, the, open our spiritual eyes. Help us to see with the eyes of faith that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we pray this for his glory. In, amen.